Welcome into Bearcat Rewind. This is episode number 74 of the podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. And we're welcoming back a former basketball coach that retired after the 2012 season from Northwest, but returned to the bench just last year at the school that gave him his first job as a college head coach. Gene Steinmeier is our guest. Coach Stein turned Doan into a perennial contender, reaching the NAIA National Semifinals three years in a row in the late 90s. Then that led him to take over the Northwest program from 1999 through 2012. Coach Stein has the second most wins in Northwest women's basketball history with 189. He won three MIAA tournament titles and one regular season championship. And he led Northwest to their only Elite Eight berth in program history back in 2011, where they beat Cal Poly Pomona to advance to the Final Four. And as I mentioned, he retired after the 2012 season here from Northwest Missouri State, but returned to Doan as an assistant last year and is working to turn that program around once again. So really enjoyed catching up with Coach Steinmeier and and reliving some old memories and also hearing a few behind-the-scenes stories along the way, which if you know Coach Steinmeier, he has a lot of those behind-the-scenes stories. So we have a fun one for you here today on Bearcat Rewind. And our podcast is brought to you by the Northwest Foundation, providing support for the Northwest Alumni Association and the university's funding needs since 1971. More information is available on Facebook or online at nwmissouri.edu foundation. And also Clorinda Regional Health Center, offering support to Southwest Iowa and Northwest Missouri each day during times of uncertainty through a local team of providers and nurses. More information at ClorindaHealth.com. Today we talk with Gene Steinmeier about his path back to coaching, how he landed the job as the Northwest head coach and came aboard back in 1999, and that magical run in 2011, and much, much more. Let's dive into this week's episode of Bearcat Rewind. Well, former Northwest Missouri State women's basketball coach Gene Steinmeier joining us here on Bearcat Rewind. And Coach Steinmeier, not living that retired life from coaching at least anymore, returning to the bench just last year after uh, at your first college head coaching stop. What's it been like at Doan and navigating your way through COVID-19 as you return to the bench? Well, Matt, first of all, i got to tell you that you know I've been gone from Northwest since 2012, and how soon people forget. Coach, nobody ever called me Coach Steinmeier. <laughs> that was just never it. It was always Stein. So you kind of threw me when you called me Coach Stein. <laughs> Not the first but, curveball coming to you. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But, you know, I didn't think, you know, it's kind of funny. I read the press release when I retired. It just happened to pop up on Facebook somewhere. And I said I'd never coach again. And I really meant it at the time. And the pandemic kind of forced me back into coaching because of, my business was, you know, travel business was going bad, and I, I had a ball. I mean, it has got to be the couple here at, at Doan. There's a there's a 29 year old head coach who's got just tons of knowledge and experience. Dad was a head coach, um, but he's 29 years old. I mean, he played. He was a GA. He did all that stuff, and he's got a 71 year old assistant coach. And we get along great. I mean, we we are on one mind. We we work our tail off recruiting, and and I, I'm really glad I got back into it. I'm glad I was a liar when I said that uh, I would never get back into coaching again. Well, it has to be a cool dynamic too, because sometimes if you want to mix a new style and an old style, it can really clash. But if you have two people willing to work together, and and honestly bringing in your experience, and maybe if uh, if a uh, head coach has a couple different ideas. It can really mesh well, and it sounds like to this point, I mean, you guys are just hitting the ground running so far. Well, we are. The, the, 
Ryan, Ryan Baumgartner is the coach's name, and, and he t- had a horrible situation. He took over. They had to fire a coach at Christmas time. No recruits, uh, no contacts, just a horrible situation. He, he ended up winning two games that first year. They had, didn't have any wins when he took over, and then did what recruiting he did. We squeezed out five wins last year. And so you'd think, oh, you know, who's going to come to Doan with that kind of record? But we had a really good recruiting class. And, and thanks to Ryan, I mean, I got here, he already had most of them, you know, all committed. And, and so it's been great. But I have to tell you, it's kind of in reverse what you said there. You know, the old style versus the new style. <laughs> it's just like, you know, okay, if you want to go to politics, it's like taking a conservative and a liberal. Except the conservative this time is the 29 year old head coach and the liberals, the 71 year old assistant. So I'm always throwing wild ideas at him. You know, matter of fact, uh, one thing we've both been doing is kind of tearing apart the, uh, the Northwest men and what triggers their offense and what's the keys to it. But, you know, it's, it's incredible what, how they do their offense without really even calling plays and stuff. They just seem to know what's going on. And we've been trying to read that and, and so Ryan and I try to take new ideas, and, and Ryan's dad is a is a boy. Well, he's a boy, and he's a girls' coach in high school in in uh, Colorado, and he's really embedded in the the traditional stuff. And I'm throwing the non traditional stuff at him, and between the two of them, I think we're going to have a lot of fun in the years to come. You know, I think anybody that knows you that might listen to this will hear that you're throwing out wild ideas, and they won't be surprised, right? Because you've thrown out some off the wall ones before. But you, you, you mentioned Northwest men's basketball and watching them, and, and you've consumed so many different basketball games from from coaching, but also probably just turning on ESPN to watch a game. Can you sit there and watch a game and just get the pure entertainment as a fan, or do you find yourself kind of constantly evaluating and seeing what works and what doesn't? Well, if it's if it's like one of those high-powered division ones where you give it to your one-and-done player and go to it, that's just entertainment. But what Ben has developed is so unusual. I have never, you know, I don't think people appreciate it enough. I mean, they walk it up. They walk it up. They run an offense where they don't call a play most of the time, and they average in the 80s. It's incredible. I mean, they are so efficient, and anybody that can duplicate that efficiency and people that try to stop that efficiency, the only way you stop that efficiency is hope all their shooters go cold on the same night. That's the only way you beat Northwest. Uh, and, and the consistency Ben has had with winners, and that's what we're trying to absorb here. We're trying to you know, just take that mentality and, and apply it to our team the best we can. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get it done, but it's sure fun looking at it. And so when I look at a Northwest, like, <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but uh, the first round, or no, the, it was the, yeah, it was the first round of the regional tournament. Sam and I, and one of Sam's, and Sam's my son, and one of his friends, we got in a car and drove to Aberdeen. Drove up there in one day, turned around, drove back, and, and ran right into a snowstorm. We didn't get back till like 3 in the morning and almost went off the road about three times. But that was so much fun, watching them just pick apart Washburn. You know, Washburn had beat them on a miracle shot. And what happens? I mean, 10 minutes into that game, it's over. And it's just incredible what, what, that, what the men's team does. 
Well, yeah, at one point in the first half of that one, it's 31-7, to and you're like, are we watching a football game or a basketball game? That was, <laughs> that was wild, but we see the consistent success there, and you're trying to establish that same thing at Doan. It wasn't that long ago that you were doing that at Doan as the head coach, three straight NAIA semifinals there in the late 90s before coming over to Northwest Missouri State. Were you eyeing Northwest as maybe that's another job I want to take down the road? Did you expect that to possibly be your last head coaching stop when you took it? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because that was the one Division II job I thought I had a chance at. Uh, A lot of administrators don't like to hire NAIA coaches, uh, just thinking that the, the transition isn't easy. But in that case... Steve Tabmeyer's assistant coach back then was Chris Johnson, CJ, whatever I called him. And, and Chris Johnson's mother was worked for Dome College, and she was in the same office co- place that I was in. Back then I was a math teacher and for Dome. And, uh, it was, and, and she was just off a couple doors down, and she would always inform me about what was going on with the Nor- uh, Northwest women. And it, it was a uh, Winstead back then that was the head coach and he was he was drawing near retirement so she always told me she said when you know when wayne decides to retire i'll give you a call and all of a sudden out of the blue here it comes and and uh so i thought i had a chance and i i got an interview and went down there to interview and it, it's just funny how things work out because i i told the people at donut i didn't tell the president i should have gone straight to the president but i, I told some people at don what i needed not to even interview. And, I mean, it wasn't the world. I mean, it was just a few things. And uh, I never heard back. So when I interviewed at Northwest, that's all it took. I mean, uh, uh, and I went, you know, and the, you know, I'll openly admit this. I wasn't the first choice. Uh, their first choice was a, a coach from Truman that uh, was going into administration rather than coaching. So she turned it down. And then uh, uh, Jim Red, who was the athletic director at the time, he called me up. I'll never forget it. He, he called me up on the, the Friday of Memorial Day, a weekend, Memorial Weekend. And he says, can you hold on until after Memorial Weekend? And I and well, the ironic thing is, 15 minutes before that, Steve Tapmeyer called me. He says, Stein, he says, I'm really sorry, but they hired somebody else. But Jim must have known that it wasn't going to happen because 15 minutes later he called me and he said, please don't make any decisions till after Memorial Day, and so I think it was a Tuesday after Memorial Day, he called me up and offered me the job. Wow. That's kind of crazy how that all comes together. And, and now all of a sudden you're the, the second all-time winningest coach in Northwest Missouri State women's basketball history. You mentioned Coach Tapp there, and, and it always seemed like you guys had a good relationship when you were here. Did you guys know each other prior to coming to Northwest? Uh, we only knew each other through uh, CJ, and then we we had some great conversations when I interviewed I knew Steve and I would really get along well, uh, but I get along with most coaches. You know, that's that's not a problem with me. There's a few that really dislike me, <laughs> like in any profession. I'm not going to mention any names, but uh, you know, I I knew that that was going to be a good relationship. Tap and I, and uh, you know, and, and things. There was a lot of yin and yang with me at Northwest because. We did a lot of good things with winning. You know, we we, we made we won three con- tournament championships, but yet if you look at my overall record, we're just five hundred. So we had too many down years. You know, of course, when you start out with only you know we 
Uh, I think we only won four games the first year and six games the last year. So that's a lot of losses to make up. But there were too many 500 years in there. But when the good years hit, we were really good. And I, at Doan, we were so consistent. And I could just never – and that's why I admire Max so much. I mean, he's taking high school kids, and, and he's consistent. And uh, uh, But there's a lot of things. Steve and I – yeah, I love Tap. He, uh, we're the only team ever in the that anyway since they started going to Kansas City, where both the men and the women won it in the same year, and we did it twice. And I'm really proud of that one. I mean, Tap and I, boy, it's fun to celebrate together with Tap and to see the selection show and you know when that stuff happened. And like one year we were the fifth seed and, and came and won it the same year Tap did. So those were fun things and. I'll, I'll never forget the first year that the tournament was in Kansas City. Uh, one of the bars downtown, I don't know if it was Tanners or the Cloth, had, had you know, it's, it's Tap Meyer, Stein Meyer. So they took the, you know, the, the Stein and the Meyers and turned it into an advertisement for a beer. <laughs> <laughs> so those posters were hanging in the, in a tavern. I don't know if that endeared us to everybody, but <laughs> that was kind of fun. <laughs> we need to find some of those and bring them back. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But your last uh, decade of coaching at Northwest, I mean, one of the staples alongside Gene Steinmeier was Lori Hopkins. Through the years, you brought her on as a GA in 2002, and of course, we're going on 20 years later. I mean, she's still just a, a huge piece at Northwest Missouri State, but she claims that you have a story you kind of like to tell that you recruited everyone in Nebraska except <laughs> Lori Hopkins. How does that happen? <laughs> I don't know. She played for Columbus Lakeview. And apparently she had 40 points in a game. You know, now I've seen her shoot in practice, so I, I'm not sure how she ever, you know, <laughs> 40 points. Don't tell her I said that, but, well, yeah, she's going to hear this. But, uh, no, and it's really kind of a story how she even became my, my assistant. Uh, she was going to be my grad assistant. She was going to spend two years and then move on. And uh, she had been at Metro State as an assistant and didn't make hardly any money, had to live with the, kind of live with the players, Hauling to campus every day. I mean, it was a tough situation. And so, and that was under Mike Power, who's kind of a, who was a big rival of mine when I was here at, uh, uh, at Dome. But we're very good friends. Mike and I are really good friends. So anyway, she comes on board as a grad assistant. Well, uh, I had to fire my assistant that I had. And I, you know, I really had a good relationship with Lori. So I, I, I went to the AD and I said, can I hire Lori as my assistant? He said, well, you can't, you can't give her any more than a grad assistant. So I said, well, then can I have a second grad assistant? Because I want to hire Lori next year. So ironically, Mike Powers had moved to Bemidji State, Minnesota, and Lori and I got in a car. We drove all the way up there, and we met Jenny Putnam. It's Putnam now. I forget what her name was then. And she was going to be Mike Powers' assistant coach. So I'd already stolen one of his assistants. Well, she did, she would rather be a grad assistant here in the tropics down at Northwest <laughs> than up in Bemidji, Minnesota, where, believe me, it's really cold. So I had two grad assistants that year, and we had you. We just it was two thousand three, and you just knew we were going to be good. With everybody back, we we got to the semis of the of the conference tournament that year and almost beat Washburn in the semis, and they were ranked in the top five. And you know, we just felt good about it. But, and, and Jenny was going to be back for a second year. Lori is going to become my assistant coach. 
Well, Jenny got a call from her old head coach, and she became an assistant coach at, uh, uh, I think it was Illinois State. And Jenny now is the first assistant for that same coach, uh, Robin Pennington, at the University of Missouri. And so I had a Division One assistant, basically, and basically, you know, now she's one of the top administrators at Northwest, and they were on my staff at the same time. But then the next, you know, Jenny left, but Lori stayed as my assistant. And uh, that 2004 is the first year we won the conference tournament. And, of course, we see Lori now in this administrator role doing a great job, but also great with players back when she was coaching as well. There happened to be a player by the name of Gabby Curtis that may not have been the greatest student, and and she wasn't motivated the greatest, and she just – had a year where she had nine points, averaged nine points a game, just kind of was a role player. And we knew it was in there, and Lori was close to her. And Lori, and she wanted to go home, and she didn't want to stay for a senior year. And Lori called her in there, and I don't know how she motivated her, but as we all know, Gabby Curtis was, became a first-team All-American and was a, uh, MVP of the MIAA, which is not an easy task. She stayed an extra year and a half, got her degree in teaching, and now she's she's a coach and a teacher in, in an Indian reservation down in Arizona. And she's part Navajo in that. She came from a, a reservation, so I mean we're really proud of Gabby, and she's in the hall. She's the only one of my players that are in the Hall of Fame right now, and 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 I, I credit Lori for all that. I, I had very little to do with that, even after Lori got out of coaching. That I give her all the credit for that. And, and you think back to that team, too, that Gabby and All-American. I mean, we're at the 10-year anniversary, really, of that team that reached the Final Four, the only Bearcat team ever on the, on the women's side that, to reach that far. And you think about Gabby coming up and having a big year and Gentry Dietz and Kyler Rorick stepping out, as well as a solid group of veterans that kind of came in and, and filled in the rest of those roles. What was that experience like of watching that team and piling up wins and kind of saying, Man, maybe we have a chance to go and, and make a run here to the Elite Eight. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because I'm <laughs> I'm at watching them play, you know, scrimmage in the preseason. They're just all kind of, you know, and and at that time, Kyla Rorig was the grad assistant for volleyball, but she had a year eligibility left. She'd been a Division One volleyball player in Minnesota. Her and I, I had recruited her sister actually, but her sister was an All-American post player Michigan State, and they finished runner-up in the nation at Baylor that her senior year. And I, I, when Kyla said she wanted to play basketball, you know, and I saw her out there scrimmaging with these guys, and I told my assistant at the time, I said, we just went from conference, you know, somebody could challenge for conference. I think we challenged nationally. But it was a tough start because Kyla had to finish up volleyball. She couldn't spend much time with basketball. And, and uh, Gentry... Uh, only was eligible second semester. She she'd come from uh, Southern Illinois and and had had a blown knee and I, there was a lot of things. But she only had a semester eligibility left. So we went through the first semester basically with just kind of a part time Kyla and no Gentry, and we got beat. We had to play the first two games of the conference season. We had to play Emporia and Washburn on the road, and they got us pretty good. Well, in comes Kyla, and you know, and over Christmas she got she became really good. And Gentry, you know, she'd practiced with us the whole time, so she was off and running. And from that point on, 
we only lost one more game in the conference, and that was kind of a fluke at Fort Hayes when they threw in 15 threes on us. <laughs> Even Tony at the after that game, he came up, that's the coach of Fort Hayes, he apologized. <laughs> he said, you're a lot better than us, but I don't know how we shot that well. And, and it was kind of, Tony's a good guy. Tony Hobson, he's always got a good program. And uh, so we knew, we knew we, we could challenge nationally. We just had to survive till Christmas. But once Christmas was over, we hit the ground running, and and um, we, we beat Washburn and Emporia when they came back to our place, and and it was a fun ride. And the one thing, and I hope people remember this, the game we got beat in the semifinals by Michigan Tech, the one person that kept, and we scored 30 more points than Michigan Tech had been allowing that year. They're supposed to be this great defensive team. We scored over 80 points, but the reason was the Gentry Deets. Gentry Dietz had 29 points in the second half. She only had four in the first half. 29 second-half points, and she missed one shot, and the shot she missed would have tied it with four minutes to go. And uh, that's one of the greatest performances I've ever seen on, with women's basketball. And it was all on ESPN, too, so uh, that was pretty cool for Gentry. It wasn't very much fun we got beat, but, boy, Gentry really. That, that, that'll be one performance. I don't know how many people in Northwest will ever remember it, but I will never forget it. Well, an unbelievable uh, second half there for Gentry. And overall, I mean, you know, the men's team hadn't reached the Final Four to that point just yet either. They made it to the Elite Eight, so the first time for Northwest ever reaching that point, the women's team doing it in St. Joseph at the Civic Arena to where it was like, wow, this is such a pro Bearcat atmosphere. It was so cool. You know, we're a couple years away from it returning to St. Joseph. Not to put any pressure, not to throw anything crazy out like that, but it would be very cool to see this come full circle once again. And, you know, we think about Austin Meyer playing for the men's team, Adai Houston playing for the men's team, then working under you as a GA. And it would be very cool to see things work out and the stars align to Northwest return to that same exact spot with a couple guys that bleed green leading that program. <laughs> Well, I agree. You know, and from what I hear, and, and my son, Sam, who's going to be a senior in Northwest, he, he tells me they're going to be pretty young this year, that they had a really good freshman class coming in. So if it returns to St. Joe in two years, that would be pretty good timing for those kids to really develop and, and for Austin to really have it going by that time. But it's never easy. You just never know. And, and things have changed so much just in a few years. Um, I... When I had the good teams, it had to be a mixture of some really good high school kids, some junior college kids that really got it, you know, not the crazy wild, you know, but really got it. And then you had to get a Division One transfer. Well, the Division One transfers have kind of dried up because of that, you know, that transfer portal. They'll go from Division One to Division One mostly. Not many make Division Two stops. So things have changed, and that's. That's where I, you know, I, you know, I think Austin gets it. I, you know, Ben obviously gets it. So, and, and the other thing is, there's nothing like Northwest fans. I mean, when Tap and I were winning those two, uh, those conference tournaments on the same years, and that, that Civic Arena was loud and it was fun. They were they were just packed with Northwest fans on that one side, and and uh, yeah, that was. There's no fans like Northwest fans. They're they're absolutely the best. And uh, in the Civic Arena, that first game we won, I, it was a first-year coach on the other side. I think she was a little intimidated by the crowd. And same way, first-year coach in the semis, too. And, uh, man, I, 
I, as loud as it was, and I think one of the loudest ones is when Gentry missed a shot to tie up with four minutes to go, the biggest groan. <laughs> I mean, it was everybody was just sitting on their edge of their seats, and it was a fun atmosphere. So I got to give a lot of credit to, you know, Bearcat Nation, so to speak. The, the fans are so loyal. And, uh, you know, I, I always remember Mel Churchman always said that he'd go grocery shopping at night so that he'd get stopped in the aisle so much. And, <laughs> And that's really true. I mean, you know, hey, coach, how are you going to be this year? Now, they might not remember your name. Three years after I quit coaching, they were still stopping me in the aisles asking me how we were going to be. <laughs> so uh, Northwest fans are terrific. Well, when we look at it and the young coaching staff we have right now on the women's basketball side with Coach Meyer and Coach Houston, um, not to put you on the spot, but an early evaluation of a couple guys that are, are trying to turn things around and you saw some – some signs of that even through a COVID-19 season last year. And um, what are your thoughts? On these? They try to take these next steps forward. Yeah, you know, I listened to a lot of Northwest games, the women and the men. And uh, it's what really hurt. And it's the same way, don't tell you the truth, because of the conference. But that's a monster conference. It's just a monster. And you got to have some luck in recruiting and you got to have some luck in chemistry on your team. And uh, there's no question about the skill of Austin and Adai. And, you know, one thing people don't know about is the great job Adai did at, at SWIC, uh, you know, Southwestern Iowa, the junior college up there. I mean, that's about as gruesome a coaching job as you can get. you got to live in the dorms and, and part of your fee is you eat at the cafeteria. I mean, and Adai did that for, I think, two years and really turned the program around. And he had it going really in the right direction. And so those two guys are very skilled guys. They're very knowledgeable in basketball. Um, another thing that people don't realize is April Miller came from Sheridan, Worth County, and she she wasn't a very good scorer, and she was a great athlete. But, you know, when you're 5'6 and can't score, where are you going to play? And she and she was smart enough to realize that. And her and Adai spent hours in the gym, hours. Adai was willing to sacrifice all those hours just with April, and she became a starting point guard her last year and a half. And she was super athletic. And and but people don't understand the little things like what Adai did, and like with Austin when Austin was with the men, he totally had everything organized. Zach's doing it now. Zach Snyder. That's the one thing. Mac is really, really good about getting his assistants to do the little stuff so he can do what he does best, and that's coach. And Mac can sit back and coach the heck out of anybody. And then, and he's been lucky with a couple great assistants in, in Zach Snyder and, and Austin Meyer. We always enjoy catching up with you and kind of reliving some old memories, but also talking about the new things with uh, you back on the bench there at Doan. I know in the past you've you've been a pretty good author. So at, <laughs> before we leave our listeners, are there any good books that you're reading right now to recommend, or are you writing any books that we should well, look for? Well, I think, okay, first of all, reading. The one book that I would recommend to anybody, and it's really unusual, it's a John, Grish, John Grisham's latest book. It's called Sluey. I think that's how you pronounce it. But it's, it's about a Sudanese uh, uh basketball player that comes basically from dirt courts to make it big and then 
doesn't have a great ending, but uh, I don't want to give it away. <laughs> but it's a book I couldn't put down. It's John Grisham's latest book. And, of course, Grisham is known for his, uh, you know, courtroom dramas and, you know, like The, the Firm and uh, Time to Kill and stuff like that. But he wrote a book, and his last book is really, really good basketball book. And I'm, you know, and I, I'm a fiction guy. I, you'd take a coach like some of these guys that coach, you know, the the Patinos and the Coach K's and all that. They, you know, I I don't like those books. You know, they 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 talk about idealism and you know, it just doesn't work for your normal coaches. And I got to tell you, okay, just to do a shameless plug, this this. Uh, summer sometime i'm going to publish my next book and it's a basketball book and it's called and i got this nickname from a, a former missouri western coach who called my offense to check it up offense <laughs> so the name of the book is check it up but all it is is it's uh it's just a book about uh what i call the fallacies of basketball coaching you know and a little reality, you know, what's reality about coaching, you know, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not like, you know, you get these kids and you motivate them to the max and you're the smartest coach that ever lived. Well, no, it's not like that. You got to have a series of luck and you got to have good kids. And so I'm going to, if I'm going to, not that anybody's going to notice, but I'm going to publish another book up this, this summer called Chuck It Out. <laughs> I like it. I'm going to have to watch for that. Let us know when that comes out so we can uh, help you uh, promote that a little bit and let folks know that it's coming out. But chuck it up, coming out this summer. We're looking forward to that one, Coach. And how, how, how many have you had published now? Uh, that'll be the fifth one. Fifth uh, one. Yeah, the one that actually sold that actually sold on Amazon a little bit was one called I'm Not Irish. And it's, about, and it's a true story about uh, a guy by the name of Will, Wilson Fitzpatrick who played it was the first black player in Nebraska, except for a guy that played about two games in the 20s. And he played in 58. And uh, uh, it's, it's, he's a, one of the most interesting guys in the world. I mean, he's got an experience with Oscar Robinson. Uh, and, I mean, it, it, he's just an interesting guy. But he wanted to coach, and the only place he could find a coach when, when he got out of college was Lewiston, Nebraska, which was – population of about 150 people and most of them had never seen a black man before and he impressed them so much and like there's doctors and lawyers and millionaires that give all their all the credit to their success to this wilson fitzpatrick but he always started classes with a with a line on the board i'm not irish (laughs) (laughs) that was the name of the the slave owner from back from his uh you know great-grandfather and they assumed the name Fitzpatrick, and that's how he got that last name. <laughs> that's interesting. So I'm not Irish. That's on Amazon. And then chuck it up, coming out here in uh, a little bit later right. this summer. So, coach, I told you I could go for probably an hour or two with you because I've got more. <laughs> but we're at 30 minutes, so I'll let you go and let you uh, get back to work here this morning and, and uh, save that for some episodes well, the, down the, the line. La- if I could just say one last thing, of course, coming up here in a week or so. Uh, maybe it's a couple of weeks. Cincinnati is coming to Kansas City, and I listened to your podcast with uh, uh, with um, uh, you know the, the the voice of the Reds. Uh, oh, Tommy Thrall, yeah, yeah, Tommy. Yeah, how can I forget Tommy's last name? And Tommy actually broadcast some women's games 
back in the day when when John and Matt would have football conflicts, and he I know one time him and a die got in a little bit of trouble in Billings, Montana, covering us game on Thanksgiving Day. So if you ever get Tommy on a podcast, ask what kind of trouble he got into on Thanksgiving Day with a die Houston in Billings, Montana. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll bookmark that one and catch up with him a little bit later. So, and, and so the Reds coming to uh, to uh, Kansas City, and they're one of the broadcast crews because a lot of them are still staying back. They've actually been able to get out on the road, it looks like, and, and right. make those trips. So that'll be cool, him coming back to his hometown once again for that. So, And I know Tommy's kind of a mentor for my son who's in the in your in your department there in the mass media in Northwest. So uh, he's, he's kind of a mentor. I mean, he loves Tommy Thrall, so. And we have to give a shout-out to Sam. He does a lot of work at KZLX next door, but also one of our Bearcat Radio Network engineers here as well. So we're uh-huh. keeping that Steinmeier name rolling here at Northwest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it became Sam was my son. Now I'm now I'm Sam's dad, so I guess <laughs> what goes around comes around. <laughs> that means you can go to the grocery store again, I guess. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> Coach, thanks a lot for the time. We'll catch up with you again soon. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks again to Gene Steinmeier joining us here on Bearcat Rewind. Always great to catch up with Coach Steinmeier, hear some of those stories, relive some old memories. So plenty more we could have dove into. We will save that for another day down the road, but uh, good to hear from Coach Stein here today. In case you missed it, over the last few weeks, our guests have included former Northwest trainers Kelly Quinlan and Nick Peters as they're wrapping up their time here at Northwest Missouri State. Northwest track and field freshman runner Bailey Blake, as well as track and field national champion Heba Magoo, joined us a few weeks ago as well. Many more, so check out those archived podcasts here on Bearcat Rewind. Thanks to Northwest Missouri State professor Alex Kurt for producing our intro and outro music, and thank you for listening to Bearcat Rewind. Please subscribe, rate, review, and tell your friends about the podcast. I'm Matt Tritton. We'll talk to you again next time.